Father, thank you for your word, both your written word and your son who is the Logos, who is the word incarnate, the word who has been made flesh and that has dwelt among us. And as we take this time out to just think about you becoming man, you coming, as we think about your, your heart, Jesus, toward us, as we think about your nature, your character, and as we think about your work, may our affections for you be stirred. Jesus, as we think about like that you've come to save, you've come to bring in a new day, a new creation, to usher that in. You are the true and better Adam and you are bringing uh, about a new creation. I pray that you would, maybe there are some here today who know about religion, who know about Christmas, who know like with some intellectual knowledge, they know these facts and these things, but they've yet to be born again. They've yet to be changed. They've yet to have their, their souls be illuminated by you who is the light. And I would pray and ask that you would do that. And Lord, we live in dark days. They're dark times. May we have hope. May we be stirred towards love and good works by the hope that we have in you that the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. May that be our hope. In, this, in your powerful name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, I, I didn't even hear you, like through your muffled, muffled mass. Let's try it again. We'll say good morning. Yeah, good morning. It's good to see each one of you, and thank you for being here, those of you that are here in person, and those of you as well that are joining us on the live stream. If you will, keep your Bibles out and uh, keep them turned to John, the first chapter, and we're going to unpack that text and what a rich, theologically dense text of Scripture uh, Scripture that is, and so it's just, it's a delight to be back into the book of John, at least it is for me. I mean, we say hello to an old friend. We spent Almost a year, uh, a couple of years ago, we started, we were in this very text of scripture. Now, here we are, we find ourselves there again. And more than just that, we find ourselves in the storyline series, in the, the, the culmination of it all. I mean, this is what, this is what it's, it's been building for 32 weeks. We've been building, we've been waiting for this point in the, in the story. We've been waiting for this page, this this event to occur that every story and every picture and every promise and every regulation and every law and every ritual and every sacrifice and every command has all pointed us to this moment, the coming of Jesus. That the whole reason why we've been preaching the storyline is so that we can see Jesus in and through every piece and portion of the Bible. And so if we go back 32 weeks ago and we look at Jesus in creation, that's what John's picking up. If we think about Jesus in the fall of, as God comes and God makes a promise and Jesus is the fulfillment, fulfillment of that promise is found in Genesis, the third chapter, that Jesus is the conquering descendant promised to Adam and Eve who will crush the serpent's head underneath his feet. That Jesus is the ark of God in which we will flee and for shelter from God's judgment as we saw in Noah and the ark. That Jesus is the miraculous son promised to Abraham, the promised one. And Jesus will be the one who will climb upon that sacrificial altar in our place. That Jesus is the despised brother, just like Joseph. And Jesus will transform his betrayal into salvation for his treacherous family that is you and I. 
Jesus is the Passover lamb whose shed blood is applied to swage the, the wrath of God. That Jesus is the acceptable sacrifice given throughout Exodus and Leviticus. He is the one who will take away the sins of the world. That Jesus is the faithful shepherd king who will go outside and he will fight the enemies of God and defeat them on, beha- on our behalf. Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah. He is the true weeping prophet in Jeremiah. He is the true obedient prophet in Jonah. He is the faithful husband in Hosea. And I can go on and on and on. As Sally Lloyd-Jones said in her Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers the name of Jesus. And we have seen that throughout the storyline series. And now here we are, we're no longer whispering his name, but Jesus is being revealed to us. He is God with us. The name that was given to him prophetically in the book of uh, Isaiah was the name Emmanuel. And that is his name. He is Emmanuel. He is God who is with us. And John, I love what John does here. He kind of takes a detour from the other gospel writers. The other three gospel writers, they start off with the the story of the New Testament and the story uh, of, of, of what Jesus is doing, the birth of Christ. They started off with just the birth in Bethlehem. But John, he pulls back and he takes a bigger picture. He does what we've been doing. Similar to what we've been doing is John ties the birth of Christ all the way back into Genesis, the first chapter. He ties it into the creation account as we read here in John, the first chapter with just in the beginning. That echoes what we read in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. The first section of John's gospel is called his prologue. And throughout the prologue of what he's writing, the the theme or the thrust of the prologue is found in verse number 18. It is this, that no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. That is what John is writing about. That's what the prologue is about. That's what the entire gospel of John is about. That's what the New Testament is about. That's what the Old Testament is about. That is what creation is about. Everything that what has been invisible and unknown and whispered is now being made visible, is being made seen, it's being made heard, and it's found in the person and the work of Jesus. This is what we're going to see that um, throughout this sermon and really throughout the, the next few weeks, that because Jesus is God, that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, and he has come to reconcile us back to himself. I'm gonna focus in on two things about Jesus. That is Jesus's nature and Jesus's work that is being revealed to us right here in this text of scripture. It's like John is building this into the prologue. Here's what is about to unfold. This is the the truth about Jesus's nature, about God's very nature and characters being put on display. We no longer have to guess at what God's like. We no longer have to look at broken pictures of what is God's character? What is his heart toward us, towards his creation, towards humanity? We have it all here. And we also see his character and his nature being evidenced in his work. Throughout the Old Testament, there's been three ways in which God, three distinct ways in which God has revealed himself to his creation, to his people. Those three ways is through his creation, through the prophets, and through manifestations. Now, possibly there are others, but these are the three that John is really pulling from 
in the prologue in order to say Jesus is a better fulfillment. He's a better picture than creation itself. He's a better picture than even the prophetic utterances and through the work of the prophets and the preaching and the teaching and the revelation that'll come through the prophets and even through the broken manifestations because Christ is God in flesh. He is a perfect manifestation of God. But nevertheless, he's drawing on these three things and that'll kind of be the the three points that'll work us through this sermon. I'm, I'm pretty excited. Can you tell? Like I'm, it's, it's, we get to talk about Jesus. Not that we haven't in any other week, but good grief. Like this is the truth that we need. What, what, do we, what do you need right now in your life? You need Jesus. We get to focus in on him and think about him. And so I gotta be honest, I'm pretty stoked. Um, so those are the three things that'll go. First of all is through creation. And John pulls from that, as I said, He's going all the way back to Genesis, the first chapter. Look at those first five verses with me. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was, and, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things that were made through him and without him was not anything, anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. First of all, let me say this. Don't get sidetracked by the word, word, right? John is using the word, word there. And you go, why didn't he just say Jesus? Why didn't he just say in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was, well, here's why, because John's not writing to uh, 21st century Americans, right? He's not writing to us in the 21st century, but in fact, he's writing to kind of first century Jewish people. That's who he's writing to. And for them, this idea, this concept uh, of the word would have been familiar to them. To us, it's kind of unfamiliar. To them, it would have been familiar because the Jews had been what's called Hellenized by that point. That means they've been indoctrinated into kind of Greek religion, Greek, Greek philosophy. And what John is doing is he's borrowing from these truth, uh, truth about the Greeks and he's teaching about like here, this is how you can understand Jesus. That what he's saying is in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was God and Jesus was with God. And so what John is teaching here is he's teaching that Jesus was pre-existent. That what you see happening as John is gonna write in the, it's on, you know, on this certain day in this town of Bethlehem as the other gospel writers have written about, that wasn't, that was the birth of Christ putting on flesh, but it wasn't the, the beginning of Jesus. Jesus has pre-existed is what he's teaching us there. He's saying he is pre-existent and he's co-existent. He's always been, but now God the Father is making Jesus the word. He's making him known. He's making him known to us. That what we said about creation going all the way back 33 weeks ago now, what we said about creation is God is putting his character on display in creation. That God is putting his nature on display. Paul picks this up as he writes in Romans, the first chapter, as he talks about man and that we are without excuse, that every one of us can look at creation and we can know something about God. What Paul writes in Romans 1, 19 and 20, he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, or we can even say to us, because God has shown it to them. And he says, first one, for his invisible attributes, that's God's invisible attributes, namely these two things, his eternal power and his divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. What Paul is saying there is creation reveals that there is a creator. 
Something that has been made, has been made by someone and God is that creator. And then Paul takes it one step further. He says, as you look at creation, that you can figure some things out about God, that God's nature, his divine power is being put on display, that as we look around us at the world that has been made, we can figure a few things out about God. It'd be equivalent to if uh, if you were to, if you were to go into my home and I wasn't there. Now that's really creepy, so don't do that, right? That's called breaking and entering. I'm not saying do that, but if you were to go into my home and you were to look around my home, you would you would know some things about me and my family. You would know that we're somewhat orderly. We're not we're not neat like completely neat, but we're not slobs either. You would see that our bed was made, and almost every day the last person out of the bed needs to make the bed, which. It's sometimes me, but still nevertheless, and then you gotta make the bed, you would see that. You would see that when we leave, the pillows get put back in these places because couches need pillows. I don't know why, but our couches have nine pillows each on each couch. And when you get sit on the couch, you would take the pillows off, but then when you get up off the couch, you put the pillows back on. That's just what you do, or at least that's what I'm told by my wife. And you would see that. You would see that we're somewhat orderly. You'd see that we like the color blue and we like the color gray because it's in every room in our house, right? You'd see musical instruments set up, a piano and my, my son's room, you'd see guitars, you might see drums, you see all these musical instruments around. You go, oh, they're a musical family. You'd see books laid out on the kitchen table and go like somebody studies. You'd see that one of the books is a Martin Lloyd-Jones book that I've left on the kitchen table. And you would say, hey, this guy's got impeccable theology. At least he's got great taste in books. You could figure all of these sorts of things out just by walking through my home and the same I could say about you. And what Paul is saying, the same thing is true about God. As we walk around his creation, we see certain things about God. His divine power is put on display. You see him as a powerful God. As you go to the Grand Canyon and you look into this huge hole, you see a God who is powerful. You look upon you know, the, the trees, um, what are they? The, the, the uh, sequoia trees out west. As you see all the, the beauty and the landscape and the bluegrass and all these things, you see a God who is creative, a God who is powerful. That is what you see here. You see a God who loves beauty. And what John is saying, even as we look at this in creation and you can ascertain these few things about God through his creation, that Jesus is a better revelation than even creation. What he's saying is the same God that has created all of this beauty, what the God has made all of this and all of this power. As you look at this, then when you look at Christ, that's the same God who has made that. And what he is saying also is that Jesus is the one who's bringing God's attributes and bringing God's power. He's making it known to us. That's verse 18 that what was hidden is now being revealed in Christ. I think sometimes we can erroneously believe that the God of the Old Testament, as we're, as we're on that brink of crossing over from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and sometimes we can look at and think erroneously that, they, that somehow over those 400 years of the intertestamental period, that those 400 years of silence, that somehow God, God, God's mood kind of lessened or God, God kind of got older and got wiser and 
You know, like maybe you could even watch me, my, my kids, I, I, you know, I've got this span of years between, but between kids. I got a, a daughter who's getting ready to turn 18, a son who is 16, and then you got this span of time. And then we have a, a five-year-old. And some would say like my, my older children said, dad, you parent differently. You've changed. You've mellowed out over those years. And sometimes you could be like, maybe in those 400 years, maybe God mellowed out that in the Old Testament, you see a God who is cranky and angry and sending prophets who've got beards, eating locusts and spewing off wrath towards people. And then you get to the New Testament and you see Jesus and Jesus is so meek and Jesus is so, so mild, but that is so untrue. The truth is, is he is the same God. That Jesus as the perfect revelation, the perfect manifestation of God, because he is God, that Jesus is revealing the character and the nature of the entire Trinity to us. There's not a division in heart and an attitude between God the Father and God the Son, that if you want to know what God is like, you look at Christ and you look how Christ was when he was on this earth. As you read the gospel accounts, as you see Jesus interacting with people, what you see in that is you see a Christ who is powerful, a Christ who is meek, a Christ who is mild, a Christ who cares about the holiness of God, a Christ who cares about the things of God. In fact, you see a Christ who is so powerful that Jesus comes and he works miracles and in his miracles, they, they prove his deity. That's why he's working miracles they are to confirm that he is who he said that he is. He said that he is God and then he works miracles. But then think about the, the types of miracles that Jesus works. I mean, if I was Jesus, if I was God, if I had all of that power, good grief, what kind of miracles would I, would I perform? I mean, I could tell you right now, I'd make things levitate. Spin around, right? I'd heal my receding hairline. They'd be jealous, but I'd do it. I would do all kinds of things. I would make you bow before me. Just think about the, the way that he could have shown his power and yet what we see in Jesus. Jesus never uses his miracles for his, for his own benefit. Think about what Jesus does, his miracles. He, he feeds a hungry crowd. He, he, he multiplies bread and fish to feed hungry people. He looks at a leper and he's filled with compassion, the untouchable of his day. And he reaches out and he touches him. You talk about a disease that threatened us. I mean, no, no face mask gonna guard you from leprosy. And yet look at Jesus, person who probably hadn't been touched in forever. And Jesus touches that person. Jesus heals the sick, makes the lame walk, raises the dead. He resurrects a dead friend. And then even in Jesus's miracle of miracles, the ultimate miracle is whenever he allows them to crucify him, he goes into death and then resurrects himself from the dead. And he does all of that to show his divine power, but also he puts his character on display in that. He shows us what God's heart is towards sinners and those sufferings. Jesus comes to love and to reconcile, to bring us back to God. Look at verse number four in verses five. In him was the life, that's Jesus. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. The light, he says, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. See what John's doing there? He's drawing from that first day of a creation account. 
He's going back and then in the same way in Genesis 1, you have God saying, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light and the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. And now what he's saying is God is doing that again in Christ, that Jesus is the light. That in the same way in Genesis 1, you have the creation of light that is the sun, S-U-N, no sun, no life. I mean, it's just the way that it is. That's the way that things work. Cut out the sun, that's our fear, right? The sun is cut out, the sun stops shining through, or we get too much of the sun, it ruins life. And what he's saying here is in the same way Jesus is the light that brings life to all men. That just as the sun breaks through the darkness, so Jesus is breaking through the darkness of our sin and the darkness of our ignorance and the darkness of our pride. He's breaking in, he's breaking through, and he's bringing life to every place that is dark. Good night, that is such good news for us. Is it not? What is dark in your life? What right now in your life and in this time feels so dark? I don't know of another, I'm just 45 years old. And yet I don't know of another single day like that we could say this than, than this day. I don't know of a darker day than today in our, in our world in our society, in America. We're living in a global pandemic that just won't go away, right? Kenneth Copeland couldn't even blow it away. I mean, we had some hope there for a minute, just maybe that quack can do it, but he didn't do it. He couldn't blow it out of existence. We're living in uncertain economic times. I don't know if you've heard this, but your paycheck's about to go up. For those of you that get a paycheck, your paycheck's about to go up because you don't have to play social security anymore. But we also know that social security is a, a broken and almost bankrupt system. And so it's like, hey, we got some more money today. But guess what that means for those of us in the future? A broken and bankrupt system. We live in a time of political turmoil. Emperor Palpatine and Thanos is running for president. And that's your choices. Who will you choose? And you could choose who's who, but you get it, right? That's our choices for president. There's racial tensions at an all-time high. Protests and riots and division and disunity and lawlessness and murder of innocence. The lines between right and wrong, they seem confusing and blurred. These are the darkest days that I've ever experienced, but here's the good news. The good news is found in verse number five. The good news is this, that Jesus breaks into the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness of sin and the darkness of suffering, the darkness of injustice, it will, not be, it will not overcome the light that is Jesus. In fact, Jesus will overcome it. John starts with creation because Jesus is ushering in a new creation. That's why he's starting with creation account again. That Jesus, as we just sang, Jesus is the true and better Adam. He is the new Adam, the second Adam, as Paul calls him in Romans 5, that where the first Adam was disobedient, and he brought death, and he brought condemnation, and he brought a curse. This new Adam, who is Jesus, will be fully obedient to all of the rules of the Father, and this new Adam will bring salvation, and he will bring life. Verse number nine, the true light and we'll get to the other part. I know I'm skipping six and seven and eight, but we'll get back there. But look, look, look at verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone 
was coming into the world. He was in the world, but look, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. That's the Jewish people. And his own people did not receive him. Like we understand those of us as we've been going through the, as we've been going through the Old Testament storyline, like we understand all of the prophecies and all of the pictures and us looking, we're like, how did you miss this? How did you miss what's happening in Bethlehem? How did you miss all the, how did you miss this? And yet they missed it. They rejected him. J.C. Ryle put it this way. Christ is to the souls of men what the son is to the world. He is the center and source of all spiritual light. Like the sun, he shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for high and for low, for rich and for poor, for Jew and for Greek. Like the sun, he is free to all. All may look at him and drink health out of his light, but he's saying, if millions of mankind were mad enough, just mean crazy enough, if you were lunatic enough to dwell in caves underground or to bandage your eyes, their darkness would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. And John's saying that's what's happened in Jesus. Jesus came to his own people, but look at what they did. They, they rejected him. They did not receive him. That's the contrast there happening in this text. Look at verse 12. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name. That's how do you receive Christ? You believe in his name. You believe in who he is. You believe in what he's come to do for you personally, come to die in your place, come to take on your sin, to make you new. And to those who did that, to those who believe in his name, who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here we see the very nature of Christ and the work of Christ, that Christ has come to usher in this new humanity, to bring a new creation. But look at this, you must be born again. You must undergo a new birth. You must be made new under Christ. You were born, he's saying, not of, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but it's a, it's a spiritual birth. It happens from God. It's not something you can will your way into it. It's not coming to you by your heritage. It's not becoming from your parents or for your grandparents or because a, a priest confirmed you or any of those things. It's not coming by your personal effort, your personal moral effort, your personal spiritual effort. It's not becoming because your personal religious activities. Ultimately, it's coming because of God. You receive it as you, as you receive Christ, as you believe upon him, but ultimately only God works this miracle. And this is the true nature and the work. Christ has come in all of his power and all of his glory and all of his splendor as God and all of that, he has come in that. But what does he come to do? Well, he's come to be a savior, to make new, to adopt us in, to make us born again to give us the spirit of adoption by with, by with which we will call out Abba, Father, to those who receive him. Have you received Christ? Are you walking in him? Are you walking in the light? Are you living in a tunnel? Is your hope found in the light? Jesus is the new creation. He's ushering in the new creation. But John moves from creation to the role of prophet. That's when six comes in, verse number six. 
that God is revealing himself through the prophets. That was their function. That was a role. And look, he's talking about a new prophet. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's not the author of the book of John. That's a different John. This is John the Baptist that John, the gospel writer, is writing about whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist, as we said, even last week is the last Old Testament prophet. We said this about Malachi, that throughout the book of Malachi, Malachi is talking about a witness that is to come. Someone's going to come that's going to pave the way, that's going to point the way to God. He will be a, a prophet like all of the other prophets are. And then you enter into 400 years of prophetic silence. And then John the Baptist breaks on to the scene. And as John comes, he fulfills that role. He's a witness. I'm not the light, but I'm pointing to the light. I'm a witness, a pointer. And now here he is. Throughout the Old Testament, we've seen that the prophets that through the prophets, God is revealing himself. He's revealing his will. He's revealing his work. He's revealing it to us through the prophets. The prophets aren't predicting the future, but what they are, they're God's spokespeople. They're God's representatives. They're speaking on God's behalf. The prophets brought both the spoken and the written word of God to us. They are the ones that as they wrote, as they spoke at the end, they tagged on, thus saith the Lord. I wanna be clear here. This isn't coming from me, but this is coming from God himself. Thus saith the Lord, but Jesus comes. There's a greater revelation, a greater manifestation of God, Jesus, than the prophets. Jesus comes and what Jesus says at the end of his teaching is, verily, verily, I say, I say unto you, that Jesus is actually the final and ultimate prophet. He is the one who perfectly represents God to us. He speaks for God and from God. Last week, we talked about Jesus at his transfiguration. You can see this in Luke chapter nine. Jesus will appear and two prophets from the Old Testament will appear with him, Moses and Elijah. As they peer, as, a, as he pulls back and shows himself to, to, uh, to his disciples, those three disciples, as he pulls back and shows himself to them, uh, you see, they also hear a voice from heaven. Luke 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. A voice came out of the cloud. It's the voice of the Father. And he says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen, listen to him. Listen to him. And then it says, and then when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. It says, if Jesus, it is, Jesus is taking the place of the prophetic role, the prophetic voice of Moses and Elijah. And now, and now it's Jesus standing there. And how do we respond to Jesus? Here's how you respond to Jesus. You listen to him. You obey him. You don't do like the Old Testament, like the Israelites have done. Remember he said he came to his own and his own rejected him. His own did not receive him, but that's just what they did to all of the prophets. As we noticed that we studied in the, in the prophets, you're all gonna see it as we study the men are in the room. You're gonna see it as you study the book of the 12 with uh, Pastor Sean starting in a couple of weeks. If we study the book of the 12 on the 12 uh, minor prophets in the Old Testament, we're gonna see is every one of these prophets is rejected. 
The only prophet that's received is Jonah, but Jonah doesn't go to Israel. He doesn't go to Judah. Jonah goes to Nineveh, Assyria, the very enemies of God. All the other prophets are rejected. Jeremiah rejected, Isaiah rejected, uh, Ezekiel rejected. They're all rejected. And what he's saying here is don't do to Jesus what they did to the prophets, but listen to him. Heed his words, obey him, receive him, receive him. Now you could say like, okay, I hear you. Like Jesus is telling me, John is writing, God is saying for me to listen and to receive Christ. But the question then should enter into our minds is will Christ receive us? If he's saying, hey, receive him, but maybe you're here and maybe you go, wait a minute, but Christ won't receive me because you don't know my past. You don't know who I am. Well, remember I said that that what's being revealed in Jesus is both the, the nature and character and the work of Christ. Like what we see here in his character and nature, it affirms the very work of Christ to us. I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I read this book to you. It's a, it's, it's a book, it's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And I'm gonna read this book to you until we read the entire thing, or you can go out and purchase a copy for yourself. You can read it. You can email me or text me and say, Andy, I got the book and I'm reading it. So you can stop reading it because it is that good. Right? I, I, I tell you, I've got a top five books every Christian should read. This made the list. And it's not six. It took the place of another book on the list. But this book is that fantastic. Get it, buy it, read it. You need it. I need it. We all need it. But this is what he writes here. Dane Ortland is writing and he says, uh, from John chapter six, verse 37, the text of scripture literally reads this. The one coming to me, this is Jesus's words. The one coming to me, I will not cast out. In fact, if we were to look at that in the Greek, the way that he does is he puts a double negative together and he's saying, it doesn't make that a positive, but he's just saying, no, I really, really, really won't do this. I will not, not cast you out. That's who would Jesus receive? Jesus saying, anybody that comes to me, I will not cast you out. Dane Ortland, he's referring to John Bunyan. That's a, a writer from the Puritan days, not the guy with the big blue ox. John Bunyan, not Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan. John Bunyan writes this. He says, but what if you say, but wait a minute, I am a great sinner, you say. And Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out. But wait a minute, I'm an old sinner, you say. And Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, you say. And Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I am a backsliding sinner, you say. And Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I have served Satan all my days, you say. And Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I've sinned against light. I didn't sin in ignorance. I sinned in rebellion, you say. And Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I've sinned against your mercy, you say. And Jesus says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I have no good thing to bring with me, you say. And Jesus says, good, because I will in no wise cast you out. This is the very nature in the heart of Christ. For those that will receive Jesus, Jesus will receive you. Jesus has spoken through the prophets or God has revealed himself through the prophets and Jesus is greater than any of those prophetic 
functions. Not that he takes the place of those, he fulfills all of those, but Jesus is a better revelation than even those prophets that come. And how do you respond to them? You listen to him. You will heed him. Lastly, God has revealed himself through what I'm gonna call manifestations of himself. What I mean by this is there are specific times and specific ways that God manifested himself among his people. We see this, we've seen this all throughout our study. Abraham and Isaac find a goat caught in a thicket. Jesus is that goat ultimately. We've seen a manifestation of God as Jacob saw a ladder, angels ascending and descending. We know that Jesus was that ladder. Moses heard God speak in a burning bush and the bush was a thing of glory. In fact, Moses was told to take his sandals off as he approached near. The Israelites saw him, saw God in a pillar of fire and in a cloud that led them. They saw a manifestation of the glory of God descend upon the tabernacle and later even on the temple. And it is that very picture that John draws from as we see in verse 14. Think about that for a second as we studied that in our Old Testament. The picture of God's Shekinah glory, that's what's called the, God's manifestation descending upon the tabernacle in the wilderness at the base of Mount Sinai and then everywhere that they set up. Think about it on the day that they built, uh, that they built the temple, Solomon's temple, and the glory manifested itself there. And now what John says in verse 17 is, and the word who is Jesus became flesh and he has dwelt among us. Literally what he's saying, he's tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. See the picture just in the same way that the glory, the Shekinah glory came. And now he's saying we've seen his glory. The glory as of the only son from the father who is full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was the guy that I've been talking about. He comes after me. He ranks before me because he was before me. But then he says, for from his fullness... That's Jesus. You and I, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God tabernacled among us. He is the perfect and ultimate manifestation of God. And he has come to bring light and to bring life. In light, Jesus is the one who illuminates salvation to us. He illuminates salvation back to God by his death and by his life and by his resurrection. He will illuminate the way to God for the way for us to be reconciled back to God. Jesus breaks through the darkness. The darkness will not overcome and he breaks through the darkness of our own sin and he brings the light and he shows us the way to be reconciled to God. Not only is he the light, but he's the life. That by his life, we receive life. Through Christ, we are born again. What sin has killed, Jesus resurrects. He is the giver and the sustainer of spiritual life. And how do we sum all of that up? Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you. In your coming, in your living, in your dying, in your resurrection, in your ascension, in your coronation, in your present ministry, reigning and ruling and interceding, all of those things, 
in you sending the Spirit and the Spirit working among us and you giving us your word and preserving it for us and you establishing your church and you appointing leadership in the church and you planting new works and all of these things that we see occurring, flowing from you. We, just, we receive them and we see them as grace upon grace. Divine, unmerited favor coming to people who don't deserve it. One grace isn't enough. It's grace being piled on top of grace to sinners and sufferers like ourselves. Jesus, as we come to this time of response, may we just remember your grace in our lives. May we remember you coming and all that you've accomplished on our behalf. And may it spur us on towards love and good works in your name. May it spur us on to glorify you. In your name we pray, amen.